We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Man, it's true, isn't it? Let's pray to that end. you bow your heads with me? So, Father, we love you. We love Christ, that he came, that he took on flesh, was born of a virgin, and that he died in our place for our sins. Not just to experience a one-time warm fuzzy of I'm going to heaven, but of continual peace and faith and rest in Him and joy. And uh, we are so grateful for that. Lord, would you now uh, meet us through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would prepare uh, the hearts of your people that it wouldn't just be a nice talk, a nice message, but through your Holy Spirit, you would provide transformation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, at this time, you are dismissed. And if you have your Bibles, join me in the last two verses of Romans. And worship team, thank you for leading us. That was beautiful. So fun to sing a song to the Lord that we've written together. That theme of rejoicing. Um, In God's word next week, we will pick up on that theme of of preparing him room. And I'm excited to just see how that theme is uh, really how it's going to begin to weave in all of our hearts uh, it's it's begun to transform me, and uh, even this morning while I was singing, I apologized to Addie for being uh, for putting too much pressure on her as a dad, uh, trying to just make her I don't know trying to force perfection or something, and uh, and that's that's how the Lord just works as as the body of Christ gathers and we sit under the Word and we sing together. We go, you know what? I'm not right with the Lord yet. <laughs> and the Lord's preparing room uh, in my heart to hear this, this text. And, uh, and so I would just encourage you once again to um, lay your, your life, your heart, your mind, everything before the Lord. And um, for the next few moments, we're going to watch him work in great ways. Shall we? Let's do it. So we're in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. And today is December 5th, which means bow hunting is now over. Which for some guys, I mean, gun hunting is starting, you're right. But some guys, they're like, 
just thinking and glorying in their trophy buck that they got. Some guys are actually mourning. They didn't get their buck, right? Some women in this room are rejoicing, right? They got their husbands back. Some women are like, I wish hunting was all year round, right? <laughs> hunting is a great thing. Hunting is a great thing. You get your boots on, those warm boots. You get all the gear. You get all that camo going on. You deck out your face. You get in your deer stand. You smell like everything natural. You know, you're just looking out there. There's the trees. And, and uh, it, it's like, it's just a great thing. Hunting is a great thing. But at the end of the day, it's not about the gear. It's not about the like all the face paint. The end of the day, for a bow hunter, you knock the arrow and you shoot a buck. Can I get an amen? I mean, come on. That is the whole purpose of hunting. Can you imagine a hunter going out in a deer stand, getting all decked out, sitting in the deer stand, 20 feet up in the air. I don't know what you guys did. Some of you guys are crazy, right? Some of you guys sent me pictures in the deer stand. I'm like, don't you be sending me pictures. You're about to fall, okay? Can you imagine a hunter going up in the deer stand and not bringing a bow and arrow? And just glorying in everything else about hunting? Can you actually call that guy a hunter? No, it's ridiculous. The purpose of hunting, the, to be true to the nature and the, the definition of the word is to bring a weapon of choice. And in this past season, a bow and arrow to knock the arrow and to let it go. That is hunting. And today, we're finishing up the book of Romans. We have pulled back the bow to this book. We've studied it well. And in these two verses, Paul is going to knock the arrow and he's going to let it fly. What is the arrow? It's you. It's you. Like marked with Christ, clothed with his righteousness empowered by His Spirit, ready to take the gospel message out. Now, we have had a great journey through the book of Romans. It has been glorious to allow the Word of God to shape and establish us through this book. It's been awesome. Chapters 1 through 5, has, they've been all about the gospel. We have said with regards to the theme of this book that it is the righteousness of of God in Christ Jesus. The kids, they worked on memorizing uh, the Romans road and they worked on how mankind is separated from God. And it's only through the gift of Jesus Christ that one can know God and be right with Him and go to heaven. And that's the gift of Jesus, eternal life. We use images throughout the book. One of them that really surfaced and continued to encourage us was the, the, um, the square peg in the round hole. And that was to remind us that humanity is at a loss. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot establish ourselves, figure out how to get 
like right with God in and of our own strength and works and doing and intellect. We are like a square peg in a round. We can just keep on trying, but it won't work. We need God to make us righteousness. It's Romans is like the wild card of the gospel. The ace in the hole. This is what it does. It's beautiful. I genuinely believe after Christmas, when last year, when we got back into Romans 6, 7, and 8, that our body experienced a genuine revival. There's all this COVID junk, right? Like we came back and marriages were like, they were, it, there was hard things going on. There was depression. There was all, and we came back and Romans 6, 7, and 8 started like refining and shaping us. There was a genuine desire for holiness. People were repenting of sin. Marriages were restored. It was a glorious time. In the summer, we hit Romans 9, 10, and 11, and it stretched us with regards to how God saves how his, how he is really sovereign and how he chooses people. And yet we saw in there this glorious tension and balance, truth and reality, that there is man's responsibility to respond in the gospel and man's responsibility to take the gospel and go out because faith comes through what? That's right. That's right. We hit chapter 12. And it was this glorious calling of us to lay down our lives and be a living sacrifice. And then 13 hit, didn't it? You remember that? Man's relationship to the government. Do you guys like that chapter? Hey, me too. Man, personal note, I can't imagine how to lead a church through such tumultuous times without the Bible. All we did was we read it, we explained it, and we saw the Bible like bring great comfort, peace, and stability to God's people. And guess what? We're still here because God sustained us through it, didn't he? So thankful that you don't have to listen to my advice on how I think you guys should go through that time. But we got to live in Romans 13, and it shaped our thinking in our hearts. And 14, and 15, and 16 came, and the last two verses. Don't look. Don't look. Stop. Everyone look up. Okay? There we go. Do you think that Paul now is going to gear you up and put your camo on and say, all right, now you're in the deer stand. I want you to take out your two thumbs like this. And I want you to move them back and forth like this. I want you to be a people that twiddle their thumbs. You think Paul's going to do that? You think Paul, you think he's going to say, all right, everyone pull up your shirts a little bit. Find your belly button. All right, go ahead and just stare at it. Uh-huh. I want you to be navel gazers, people. I want you to just... Be like that. Just take your nose and just stick it on down there. And that's the kind of Christian I want you to be. How about that for a t-shirt or a logo, right? Nope. Don't look yet. You think he wants to say, all right, everything that I've written so far, now as a result, I want you to gather and I want you to argue about it. 
Everyone, like, put on your boxing gloves and let's just go after each other. No. Actually, he does something very different, doesn't he? He says, I want you to knock the arrow. I want you to pull it back. And I want to let it fly. Would you stand with me for the last two verses as I read it for our church? In honor of God's word, this is verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's have a seat together. The title of today's sermon is From Rome to Home and Back Again. And no, that's not some Bilbo Baggins title. There and back again. But uh, we're going to trace the gospel today. We're going to see it go from home, from Rome, all the way to the gathering, and then out from us. The timeless truth of today, the argument from the text is this. The gospel goes to the nations by his strength and command. In order to bring about the obedience of faith for his glory. So let your eyes go right in the middle of this passage today. That's where I'd like to start. In the middle of verse 25 and through 26. And let me just read it again so that we are familiar with this text. I'll start with the word according, okay? According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. It's not just a letter. It's not just ink on a page. Real Paul writes to a real church, like real people in Rome in real time. And he uses the word mystery again. We've seen this a few times and it's laced throughout the New Testament. And he uses it because it talks about a people, us, that could never have worked out or figured out this thing called the gospel by themselves. It's the truth, and we've already said it, and we've sung it, and, we've, and Gary and Barb shared about it uh, when, they, when they talked about waiting in Advent with peace, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to live for us and to die for us, that we, if you receive him, might enter into that eternal life, that you might have life everlasting and that, and that it would be to the full. This isn't an obvious thing. Again, you can't just figure it out on your own. It must be known through revelation. It must be revealed. And so this message that has now been disclosed and is going out to all the nations have been entrusted. This message has been given to the church. And now the church is in charge of, by faith comes through hearing, 
bringing it out to all the people who don't know this message. In terms of like mystery, and since we're in the Christmas time, uh, how many of you um, already know at least one of your Christmas presents already? Uh huh. That, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's difficult. You all live together, and you're like trying to hide it from them. But some of you like actually don't want to hide it. You know, like you want to. Like I tell you what, Hannah's side of the family is depending on how you look at it, the best at this, or like they're the worst at this. Like over Thanksgiving, my brother-in-law looked looked at his wife and he said, I am going to give you a hint about your Christmas present that is totally going to give it away. And I was like witnessing this conversation like, this isn't, the, this isn't right. Like you shouldn't do that. Like giving someone a hint to give it away. Like why do you even wrap it or wait or will you write but there's like this energy and excitement like that you have. You want someone to know this mystery around Christmas time. And you're excited. And some people are like way too excited. They just like, just tell them, just tell them, right? They give it to them early. And that, that's, that's the feeling that the Christian has about the truth that he possesses. Like he wants others to know Jesus Christ, who has now been revealed so that they can have eternal life, so that they can experience life everlasting. It's the greatest thing ever. There's a quote that I want to share that will be, will be a common thread this morning, um, and it's by a friend um, named Doug Pollock, and he says this, the kingdom of God advances one conversation at a time. The kingdom of God advances one conversation at a time. And so I just want to ask our church, like, just a genuine question and more of a historical question. Um, did the church of Rome do a good job with the entrusted gospel? Like, when Paul wrote the letter and they were living life and, 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 and trying to make Jesus known with their lives, how'd they do? Did they tell others about the saving message of Jesus? And so I'd like to almost sit down in that part of the text today that talks about it going to all nations and track the gospel movement from Rome all the way here. So let's start in Rome, shall we? One historian writes about the Church of Rome and says this, their first action, so this is the people of Rome, okay? Their first action in obedience to the instructions of the Savior was to sell their goods and to distribute them to the poor. And then, leaving their homes, they set out to fulfill the work of the evangelist making it their ambition to preach the word of faith to those who had not yet heard anything about it and to commit to them the books of the divine gospels. They were content simply to lay the foundations of the faith among these foreign peoples. And then they appointed pastors and committed to them the responsibility for building up those whom they had brought to the faith. 
and then they passed on to other countries and nations. Fox's Book of Martyrs, John Fox writes, In that age, every Christian was a missionary. Everyone who had the experienced, who had experienced the joys of believing, tried to bring others to the faith. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's it. Christians during that time were known by their love for the Lord and love for others. They were genuinely concerned for others. Emperor Julian, he talked about Christians. This is how you know that, that it's not just Christians speaking up about other Christians, but non-believers talking about Christians and their influence in the current society. It's written that, that he was concerned that the Christians outshined those of other religions. It writes, uh, it is written that he was chagrined that Christianity had advanced through the love and service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. They were excellent at doing stuff. They loved well. They were compassionate. And through that time, they were persecuted. And persecution spread the gospel even further. A guy named Tertullian uh, perhaps said it best when he said the blood of the, of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Persecution, faithful witness of the gospel amidst persecution played a significant catalyst of growth in the early church. The apostles, after they went out, um, they went out all over the world. There was a man named Polycarp. He was the bishop of Smyrna. And if you were with us when we went through Revelation, that was a city um, in the Middle East. A man named F.F. F. Bruce said that he, Polycarp, was the last link with those who had seen Christ in the flesh, for he had sat at the feet of John, the beloved disciple. Polycarp was an evangelist. He was a missionary who conveyed deep sense of urgency in all his interactions to, with the lost. It's written of him that Polycarp spent his days talking with the lost, listening to them, and urging them to come to Christ. And he spent his nights in prayer and the study of the Scriptures. In 156 AD, he was taken into custody and Polycarp was burned at the stake. Why? They wanted him to deny his faith. This is what he said. For 80 and 6 years, I have been his servant, and he has never done me wrong. Talking about Jesus. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? From Polycarp, the gospel was advanced through many people. How? Through one conversation at a time. There was a girl named Perpetua that I'd like to highlight. She was a young woman that would not bend. Uh, in the North African region, she was a slave girl who loved the Lord and was faithful all the way to the end. She was convinced that Jesus had called her and wanted to use her life despite her status. She was put in prison because of her faith. And she also had a baby at the time. 
Two Christians managed to have uh, her baby brought to the prison. And she wrote this. I nursed my baby who was faint from hunger. And in my anxiety, I spoke to my mother about the child. And I tried to comfort my brother. And I gave the child in their charge. How about that, mamas? And then Perpetua, standing before her executioner, she shouted this to all the saints who were witnessing. Give out the word to brothers and sisters. Stand fast in the faith. Love one another and don't let our suffering become a stumbling block to you. And then she was taken to the gladiator to be beheaded. Perpetual. When Constantine was emperor, he legalized Christianity and understood, he understood the faith. Yet, yet there's different perspectives about whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. And God was in control. But we do know that once Christianity was legalized and we could say made popular, the vibrant Christian testimony went down. It declined. When persecution was lifted, Christians were less faithful to the spoken witness of the gospel. Yet there were some faithful. A man named Euphilus was raised uh, out, uh, raised up by God to bring the gospel to a people called the Goths. He translated the Bible into their language, and he died at the age of 70 while en route to see Constantine um, for the Gothic king. He was sent as a representative. This was written about his disciples after he died. And this is how you know that he was doing the work of the ministry, because he discipled others. In 410 AD, it was said about the Goths, those who had formerly used wagons for dwellings now used a wagon for a church. They sought service, not security. Comradeship in Christ, not cathedral. Discipleship, not domination. The gospel went to the Goths. How? One conversation at a time. The gospel moved to the left, to the west, a little bit more by one conversation, by another conversation, by another conversation, until it got to a guy named St. Patrick, who was sold and were taken into slavery in the island of Ireland. There he lived and he escaped. He came back to Britain and through a series of events, it was almost like a Macedonian call. He felt called to go back to the island of Ireland where he was enslaved. Why? It's Christ. To, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And so he went to the island of Ireland and the Lord greatly used him to reach much of Ireland. At that time, uh, Patrick thought that he had been um, to the very ends of the earth, really because that was the end of the Roman Empire. Um, and so in his mind, 
The ends of the earth were, were evangelized. But we know that that was not the ends of the earth. It, it, uh, it went out um, to the east. So the gospel didn't just come from Jerusalem to Rome and to the left. It went out to the east. It went to the right. A man named Hudson Taylor set his sights on reaching the whole of China, 400 million at the time. His daddy was a pharmacist and a Methodist preacher. And before his fifth birthday, his fifth birthday, he was telling everyone he knew that he wanted to be a missionary to China. Why? To live as Christ. He had a passion for reaching lost souls. And he often spoke about one million people a month dying without God in China. And as he told others the great need for God, the gospel to be brought to China, people came. He was the man who started China. Um, why am I missing it? China Inland, Inland Mission. There it is. The gospel continued to move conversation at a time, conversation at a time. He went to Korea, to India by the ministry of Thomas, to the Pacific Islands. Missionaries went, in, uh, went to the, the islands in the droves because faith comes through hearing and hearing by the what? We must go if they are going to become Christians. That is the responsibility that God has entrusted people with. One man by the name of John G. Patton. He was one that went to the Pacific Islands. It's said about him that when he landed in 1848, that there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. He faced a lot of adversity by his, by his comrades, some of his professors in seminary said, no, 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 don't go there. You're educated. You have too much gifting to just be, it, it, to be wasted among the savage. People cautioned him, no, don't go there. They practice cannibalism. You want to hear his, his attitude and response? He said, either I get eaten by them or I die and get buried and I get eaten by worms. But either way, I get eaten. The gospel didn't just go to the east, though. It went south from Jerusalem to Africa. And one of the most famous missionaries in Africa, anyone know him? That's right, David Livingston. I got to meet his spiritual great-grandson when I was there at a restaurant. I was like, what? You have are been, you've like, I can't believe you're here. I'm meeting like the spiritual legacy of David Livingston. And he had the biggest smile and the whitest teeth. And he was so joyful. And I was so thankful for the faithfulness of David Livingston. Why? Because he was such a pioneer. Because he loved wearing backpacks. Because he was like Lewis and Clark-esque. Oh, I could never do that. No! It was one conversation at a time that David Livingston had. From one person to another person. Because that's how the gospel is transmitted. Why did he go? To reach the unreached. How did he do it? One conversation at a time. As you know, the gospel didn't just stay in Africa, didn't just stay in the East, 
than just stay in Europe. It jumped its banks to the new land, to America. One man named Jim Elliott, because, because he was a believer in it, and it came to him, he said, I, I need to bring it to others. And so he went with a bunch of his buddies down to South America to tell an unreached tribe, an unreached people group about the saving truth of the gospel. And you know the story well. They were all speared to death. His wife, Elizabeth Elliot, returned to the same tribe with a picture of Jim, risked her life. The tribe recognized, oh yeah, that's the guy we, we killed in the river. She must have something to say. And they listened to her. She told them about Jesus. And the whole tribe came to know the Lord. It's just beautiful. That sparked a missionary movement within America to send students and to send others all around the world with the message of the gospel. Churches are being planted all over the United States. A number of years ago, a church named Faith Church was planted in Milford. And Milford said, we want the gospel to go out. And so they planted Hope Church. And Hope Church planted Antioch Church, and Antioch planted the gathering. And we together, we've, we've received this, this, uh, this like niche in the kingdom that says, hey, there's still fertile soil, like the gospel still going. We're still in the time of the Gentiles, according to Romans 9 through 11. Hey, take what you've been given and make it go out. And so we've been entrusted with this, this vision of planting churches in YMCAs. And it's been beautiful. And God has sent each of you here so that you would grow in your faith, that you would love him, and that you would take the gospel out. Some of you are from Mason, some from Mainville, some from Morrow, from Lebanon, Clarksville, wherever, to gather weekly and to scatter all over the community for the gospel of Jesus. The task is unfinished. You ever heard it phrased like that? The work is not done yet. It is our task as a church to bring the gospel out one conversation, finish it with me, at a time. There's Rome to home. So two questions. Will we have the conversation? Will we have it? I know each of you have someone in your mind and in your heart. It's how it works. The Lord burdens you to bring that message to them. Will you have the conversation? Second question is, are you up for the task unfinished? Are you up for it? I think that's a great question because if we were all honest with ourselves, we would say, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. And and the evil one could deceive you. Could be like, Whoa, well, the preacher man today mentioned all those famous guys and girls. I don't think I could be like Perpetua. I don't think I could be like John Patton. I don't think I could be like Jim Elliot. And watch how the scriptures encourage our church today. Three things to close with. Here's the first one. 
Look at verse 26. The first one is this. Trust God's eternal command. Trust God's eternal command. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, according to the command of the eternal God. Isn't that interesting? The command of God. You almost get the same type of feeling or images like way back before there was time when creation was happening and God said, let there be light. And the light went, eh, I'll do it on my own timetable. I'll do what I want, right? <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. God spoke and boom, it was. Makes me think of Jesus when he stood up on the boat and there's the massive storm and wind and waves and he said, hey, be still. He commanded it. And the wind and the waves obeyed. And this morning, our commanding officer, he has authority and he commands the gospel to go out. He even says, if you don't do it, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to raise up and the rocks will cry out for you. But it will go. If you are intimidated in the unfinished task of evangelizing the world, me too. <laughs> Join the party, right? Jonathan Edwards said, only God is able to do the work of God. So if you're intimidated, I'm calling you to trust in God. John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, friends, know this. Can't do anything apart from God. God commands it. But he also has commanded you to take out the gospel. And within all these commands, you can trust him that the work will be accomplished. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Check out verse 27 with me. Number two is trust God's eternal wisdom. Verse 27 reads like this. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So his ways are wise. I know I don't always understand his ways, but that doesn't mean they're not good plans. So in his wisdom, church, he's placed you, whether you're in fifth grade or you're 50 years old, he's placed you in the perfect position for his gospel to go out. There's been some recent study on um, on unreached people groups that have brought great clarity to the um, study and discussion of missions. It's called missiology. Um, an unreached people group is a group of people that don't have access to the gospel. There's no church, there's no Christians there. If we don't go, we need to go. And so it's often like, thought about like, oh, I thought unreached people groups would be like that dude at my office who's not a believer. Like he's not reached yet. And it's helpful to distinguish it because unreached people groups don't have access to the gospel. There's no church, no one preaching, no believers there. 
And so that guy in your office or that girl in your classroom, they're not considered unreached people groups because you're there. <laughs> you are the access. And you are being entrusted with that job, with the gospel. You're the access. And that's not a mistake. That's in God's wisdom. Number three, this is the last one. Trust God's eternal strength. I thought this one would be a great one to close on. Look at verse 25 with me. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Hey, brothers and sisters, God knows your weaknesses. He knows your energy level right now in December. He knows your calendar. He knows your insecurities. He knows them all and still supplies you with the strength to take part in his mission. Amen. So friends, let's pull back the bow. Let's shoot the arrow. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would have the conversation. We thank you that you have promised us your peace. You've promised us grace. You've promised us strength. Lord, you've commanded it to be so. And so we're going to trust you. Lord, as, as your people, we want to be faithful to you in all areas. Would you grow us here? We don't want just butts in the seats. We just don't want money in the offering plate. Lord, the deepest desire of our hearts is that we want to be before you one day and say, well, have you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we want people who don't know you to come to know you. We want to bring them to the obedience of the faith, as it says in this text. Would you do that by your might and by your power? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's close our time together in worship. And if at any point you want to just grab someone, a community group leader or whatever, pull them to the side and ask for prayer. Pray for strength. Pray for trust. Pray for a boldness. And we welcome you to do so.